Good morning. It's great to see you. Good morning to all those joining us online. Huh. You ever have a moment where you're thinking so hard it hurts your head? Anybody else experience that beside me? This summer, uh, I have this motorcycle. It's a 750 Honda Shadow 2007. It decided to not spark anymore. It just went dead. The whole thing just went dead. So um, I'm not afraid to dive into anything in life. So I began to tear it apart to figure out what was wrong with it, hoping it was just a loose connection. So I have everything strewn out all over the floor. Can you imagine? It took me about two months. I kept working through every little piece of this, finding nothing wrong. I found no problem. And finally, I'm getting deep into the, into the engine. I thought, well, I'm going to order a, a, a spark plug tester thing with a little light so I can put it between the plug and the wire and not have to keep pulling the plug out to see if it was, you know, firing and all that. So I threw that on there and I kind of put stuff together and I thought, well, I'll just try it. I saw a spark. I said, what? And then all of a sudden, boom, it just starts up. I thought, well, I must have fixed it somehow. (laughs) Yeah, hallelujah. But the problem is, I'm hallelujah. I just don't want to go down the road and have a dude. No, I'm just, yes. So I, I... I drive it tentatively right now, right? But I go, I hate that. Do you hate that? Because I want to know, what did I do to make this go away? I'm thinking it was a loose connection someplace. But you ever have that kind of Mr. Misty brain freeze where you're just thinking so hard? To me, that's the book of Romans. You read the book of Romans, it's so challenging. It's hard scripture. And... Um, Oftentimes we kind of say, what? I don't know if I want to do this. It's not, it goes against your natural kind of human nature. Um, For sure, the book does not endorse a casual Christianity. Neither does any of the Bible. Amen? Uh, When I was uh, picking up guitar back in the 1990s, I would sing a song. I don't want to be, I don't want to be a casual Christian. Because it was super easy to chord. But I remember thinking that song through a lot. And I remember stopping at times and saying, you know, God, I don't want to be a casual Christian. Can you even be a casual Christian? What does that even mean? And I think when you get into the book of Romans, it does a lot to dispel this idea that we can come to God in kind of a casual, lackadaisical way. So I want to encourage you as you go through the uh, series with us here, um, go back and reread the book of Romans frequently. Go back to Romans chapter 1. Look at the issues it brings up. They're the exact issues we're, we're having in our culture today. Just read it over again with an open heart and, and embrace it as your biblical worldview. Um, it's not easy stuff, but it's the right kind of stuff. It, it gives us the equipping as a believer to truly engage our world in a biblical way. Now, knowing is really important. And I'm rambling a little bit today. We're not to the message, so, you know, it'll take a while. Um, But I thought it was important to ramble a little bit uh, today. Knowing is really, really important. A lot of people just don't know. Amen, right? Knowing is really important. But if you're going to experience true transformation, there's got to be a coupling of knowing what to do and then what? Doing it. It's in the coupling of those two things that oftentimes we experience deep transformation. So... Um, if we want to really be Jesus followers, having our identity, a radical identity in Jesus, and we really want to experience transformation in our life, then I think these two things of knowing and doing have to be coupled together. Now, I don't know how you are, but I find myself knowing what I should do and what? 
not doing it. Amen? And, and it, sometimes I feel like I'm tethered with this heavy horse rope. This is an old piece of horse rope I have from the days when we had horses. I feel like I'm tethered to my old nature sometimes. It's like I'm tied there. And I know all this stuff to do. And I know the right things. And then frequently I find myself being kind of cranky and kind of angry. And it's like I'm just tethered to this ugly thing I don't want to be tethered to. And, and, and so to, to become untethered becomes the question that we often face. Let me read to you some of that scripture that we looked at before. It's Romans chapter 6, verses 11 through 14. By the way, we've gone through sections of Romans over the last uh, eight, nine years. And now we're finally finishing it up by looking at chapters 13 uh, through 15. But listen to what Romans 6 says, 11 through 14. By the way, I'm still rambling here. So if you're trying to take notes... That's not going to work. All right? We're not there yet. So, in the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourself to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master because you are not under the law, But under grace. Now, being under grace means we're under the empowerment of God. Grace is empowerment, the filling of the person of the Holy Spirit, that which is done in you that you cannot do yourself. Now, I think it's safe to say when we read such a scripture, we get the do nots. In fact, we tend to major on do not, do not, do not. That does not make you an instrument of righteousness, no. It's just a piece of the equation. I think almost the more important piece of the equation is what are you doing? Not what are you not doing, but what are you actually actively doing? And, and that's where some of that transformation uh, begins to truly take place. If you want to get untethered from self and your sinful kind of tendencies, begin to actively do those things that are right to do. That, my friends, is the study of Romans 13, 14, and 15. If you think what we're looking at is hard now, wait till we get to Romans 14. All right? Some people said, have asked me, well, did you plan this because of everything that's going on? Uh-uh. We planned this a long time ago. Amen? I had no specific target in mind when I did this, but it's amazing how applicable uh, some of this stuff is to what is going on right now. But... If you truly want to offer your body as an instrument of righteousness, you'll know what you ought to do, and then what? You'll begin to actually do it. And by doing that, you untether yourself then from yourself and your sinful uh, tendencies. And God wants us to experience that we no longer live, but Christ lives in us. And so, um, let me continue to ramble. I've thought about this. I've thought about this so much. How do I really offer myself as an instrument of righteousness of God? Do I sing songs? Holy, holy, holy. I love that song, by the way. Does that, is that offering myself as an instrument of righteousness? Uh, Do I pray these flowery prayers that are super deep theological and sound really good to hear and sometimes just for some impact I'll throw some King James kind of language in there. You know, do I do that? Does that make me an instrument of righteousness? Do I have to be kind of a monk or do I have to become somebody like, you know, St. Francis? Or how, how do I really become an instrument of righteousness? Well, I think 
We need to make it simpler. I need to know God's word. I need to grapple with God's word. And then I need to do it. I need to begin to live it out. That's what we're trying to do in this series of Romans 13, 14, and 50. That's why we call it practical Christianity. We're trying to figure out how to actually do it. So now I'm done rambling. We're going to get actually to the stuff for today. So we've been in Romans 13. Okay, we've been in Romans 13. And so far, in the first seven verses, we've, we've looked at um, authority and God being an ultimate authority. I would classify it this way. So far, we looked at vertical relationships in the life of a follower and how we should deal with those over us, how ultimately then that translates into our understanding uh, of God. And you know what the operative word is for those over us? It's authority, or it's uh, submission, excuse me. It's submission. We should be submitted to our authorities. And we've talked a lot about that in the last couple of weeks. And so if this is the first time you're hearing it, I would suggest you go back and listen to some of those uh, prior messages. Um, but when we put ourselves under our authorities, when we are, are, are being submissive to them and serving for their good, then we definitely begin to untether from ourselves and our sinful ways. It's like we got these gigantic, I love these kind of mechanical advantage devices, you know, this great big shears for shearing off limbs, right? When we, when we begin to understand truly the power of submission, it's like that thing just cuts this tether away. And pretty soon we're free to become who God intends us uh, to become. Um, and now as we continue on in Romans chapter 13, we're going to get to what I call horizontal relationships. How do I deal with those around me? They're, they're not over me. They're my neighbors. They're in my family, uh, brothers and sisters biologically, brothers and sisters spiritually, so to speak. You know, the store clerk. How do I deal with those ones uh, in the horizontal relationship? And the operative word there is love. We're to love them. And we're going to spend the rest of the morning talking about what that means. Um, but if we truly love our neighbors as ourselves, this is like hooking on some serious leverage to this puppy. Amen? And it really does untether you from self, selfishness and sinfulness. It really does. Because you're beginning to uh, reflect the heart of God in your treatment of other people. Um, and God loves people. And when you get to really love people like God loves people, man, a lot. That's a transformative place to put yourself into. Um, so you still have to resist temptation and all that kind of thing. I'm not minimizing any of that. But I, I tell you what, if you want to have accelerated growth in the Lord Jesus Christ, know what he says, but be about doing it. Be on the hunt to do it. Let's go to Romans chapter 13 now. And let's read about this horizontal love. Uh, I'm going to read to you verses 8 through 10. Let's see what uh, is told to us here. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And whatever other command there may be are summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. Now, interestingly enough, this set of scripture here is referring back to a piece of, of the Ten Commandments. So I want to blast through the Ten Commandments real quickly for you today and, and talk about this relationship. Do you remember the Ten Commandments? Number one, no other gods. I do this in a real simple way because that's how I remember things. 
Number one commandment, no other gods. Number two commandment, no idols. Number three commandment, don't misuse God's name. Fourthly, uh, remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. Fifthly, honor your father and your mother. Sixth, now here we go. This is going to sound real familiar because we just read these in Romans chapter 13. Don't murder. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. He didn't mention this one. Don't give false testimony and don't covet. See, the Ten Commandments define for us two basic relationships. First of all, it's vertically how to relate to God, right? That's the first set of commandments. No other God, no idols, don't misuse God's name. Remember the Sabbath. And honor your father and mother really is an authority uh, uh, kind of thing and submission thing. So I throw it in that category. It's really about vertical relationship. And then horizontally, the next five commandments deal with those. Don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't give false testimony, and don't covet. So what we're seeing here is how to relate vertically to God and how to relate horizontally to others with the Ten Commandments, right? Sometimes you can remember this by just remembering the cross. There's a vertical part of the cross. And, we're, and a lot of these Ten Commandments relate vertically uh, uh, to God and how we're to treat God. And, and then there's a horizontal, the beam of the cross. And that's how we're to relate uh, to other people with these five uh, uh, latter part or second part uh, of the commandments. And so Romans 13, 9 only lists those commandments on how to relate to people. So Paul's distinctly talking on this kind of brotherly love, this love for other people, using that portion of the Ten Commandments that clearly articulate then how our actions should be towards other people. See, if we treat other people's right, right, then we become that instrument of righteousness talked about in Romans chapter 6. So remember Romans 13, Romans 14, Romans 15. It's telling us how to do it. It's giving us an action plan. The theology, the, the, the knowledge is being articulated for us in, in chapters like Romans chapter 6. You've got to remember, Paul's writing the whole thing, amen? He's got, you know, this kind of continuity to his thinking. So he, when he talks about instruments of righteousness way back in Romans chapter 6, now in Romans chapter 13, he's showing us how we do that. How we become an instrument of righteousness. Don't murder, don't steal, don't covet, right? He's showing us horizontally, treat these people this way. And if you do, you're fulfilling the law. You're treating people as you should um, treat them. So, love your neighbor then as yourself is a summation of how we're to relate to people. Love your neighbor as yourself. Uh, And then we naturally fulfill the law. Because if you love someone as yourself, you're not going to murder them. Amen? You're not going to steal from them. You're not going to commit adultery. You're not going to covet. You're not going to give false testimony. Guess what kind of love Paul's using here in this scripture? Guess what the Greek word is? We, 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 anybody want to give a guess? It's agape. Yeah, it's agape love. Let's talk about that for a minute. That means to value, esteem, treat as precious, to be devoted to. It is shown by God's action of sending his only son to die for the world. Now, hear this definition. Remember this definition. It is a love that has at the heart of it the best interests of others. So when you look at other people, if you want to love them with this agape love, you're going to have at the heart of that treatment their best interests in mind. Amen? That's how we're to treat other people. And as you do that, guess what? It does untether you from your selfishness. It does untether you from your tendencies towards sinfulness. 
because you're thinking about what's best for that other person. And I tell you, that's really reflective of the heart of God. Amen? Because God so loved that what did he do? He sent his only son to die on a cross for us. Um, I want to talk to you about attention here. I, I guess I might as well. This is hard scripture to talk on. So let, let's, let's, I'm going to just go at it. I'm not going to even give you any kind of a apology for it because it's really true. Uh, but anyway, let me talk on it. So the tension comes into this love thing when we don't really understand biblical love well. And we mix it up with sentimentalism. And we mix it up with worldly love and that kind of thing. It gets really messy quickly. But let's, let's talk about a scenario. This, this, this love is not a sloppy love that overlooks wrong. That's not the love that God's talking about here. I have at the best interest your well-being. I have your best interest at, at, at my interaction with you, okay? Um, and so, if you're dealing with a family member or a friend or some acquaintance that is distinctly doing wrong things, making bad decisions, making sinful conditions, whatever you want to put into that scenario. If you have family, you're going to relate to me, amen? So the tension becomes, how do I love them like this? Do I not say anything ever? Do I just show them unconditional acceptance? Well, it's a tension you walk. It's a tension. And it's not super easy to give you, here's the formula. But listen, beloved, this is not sloppy sentimentalism here. This love will say hard things because you have their best interests at what you're doing. But you'll do so with great concern for their well-being. Amen? And you won't do it in a judgmental way. You'll do it in a restorative, redemptive way. But I see too many dysfunctional families where they won't say hard things to each other because of fear of offense and losing maybe their, their, their love, whatever you want to put there. And so we have all this dysfunctionality going on. And sometimes people say, well, you know, I'm just supposed to love, on, uh, love like, you know, we're being told in Scripture, you know, love thy neighbor as thyself. Well, Jesus was pretty straightforward, amen? And at times, just you drop your jaw open at what he would say, amen? But he always had... At the heart of that, that person's best interest. Amen? If you can't do that, if you're getting in the way and your you know, self-righteousness or indignation or offense is getting in the way, then don't say anything. Get that cleared up first. But... We want to be instruments of righteousness, so we have to kind of walk this tension. Do you follow what I'm saying here? Amen? You follow this? So this is super, super important that we have agape love. Um, so let's go on. Let's talk about neighbor. That's another word that needs to be understood here. Neighbor in the context that we read today means one who is near and implies that anyone within a close proximity to us should be our concern. That's what it means. Anyone in a close proximity to us should be our concern. We're to care about people around us. We're to love the ones we're with. So what this means is that you and I, spiritually speaking, and before the, the Lord, are responsible for the ones that bump into us in our lives. 
Um, so these Romans verses give us two horizontal relationship instructions for the one that are around us. One is, let no debt remain outstanding. So pragmatically, let's talk on this. If we owe someone something, we should pay them. Amen? Paul's talked about this already a little bit in, in, in chapter 13. Pay to those taxes whose taxes are due. To those who should receive honor, give them honor. So it's not only just monetary payment, it's showing respect. So if we're having political, I'm going to step into this thing. I shouldn't, but I'm going to. So if we're having political discussions, which it seems like there's a lot of that going on right now, isn't there? Okay, so if we're dealing with one in authority, even if we distinctly disagree with them, we still honor that position. And we still speak in that kind of a tone. Doesn't mean we have to agree with them, but there's a way of presenting. Amen? To whom honor is due, give them honor. Not because they're honorable, but because you're respecting that position. All right? Nothing. Uh, you get, you're getting this. Uh, but, but oftentimes what happens is if we don't pay a debt, so say Cody takes a tree down for me and I just happen to forget to pay you. Ever have that happen? No. Well, yeah, probably have. Anyway, uh, if you owe him for a tree, you better pay him up now. Anyway, so, and I'm a Christian, but I don't pay him. What does that do? It brings shame on Christianity. And people think, well, that, I, I, those Christians, they never leave tips when they eat out. They're cheap. They don't, they don't pay when they should pay. Or they're disrespectful and they're judgmental and they're self-righteous. And all these kinds of things that we do, it takes our voice out of culture. It takes our ability to witness out of culture. So I'm talking to you super honest. You can think on this what you want um, in terms of, I mean, your situations, all right? All right, so let's go on to the next point. Uh, number two, the debt you continue to owe to others is the debt of love. You owe the debt of love. Listen to Ephesians 5, verse 1 through 2. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So what does this love look like? Well, we know it doesn't commit adultery. We know it doesn't covet, right? It doesn't steal. But uh, let's move it to this other side. It's a love that actively, actively looks to benefit others. That's the kind of love you and I are to have. It's a love that actively looks to benefit others. And so I would say it this way. It's a love that's on the hunt to bless other people. It's a love that's just constantly looking, where can I do something good? Where can I bless some of those around me? Get, get this. You're now untethering, aren't you, from yourself when you're doing that. You're not thinking about yourself so much. You're thinking about God. You're thinking about others. And you've just put some serious lever to these shears that, that could cut that thing from you. Um, you know, uh, sometimes I, I love to go out and cut branches, especially with something like this. I mean, because it's so easy, right? Um, Get big ones with long handles, by the way, if you're going to do it, because it makes the job a lot easier. But it's like when you do this kind of stuff, you're adding this serious, serious, you know, leverage to, to that process of untethering from yourself and from your sinfulness. It's a love that doesn't look for loopholes. Well, they did me wrong, so I have a right to be mad at them. Do we? No, we don't. I'm good at doing this. It's illustrated by uh, the story of the Good Samaritan. Jesus is talking to his group and he was talking about who is your neighbor and 
He knows some man gets beaten up on the road and a Levite and a preacher's passing by. They didn't want to fool with it. It's dirty. It's messy. But along comes a Samaritan, a, 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 thought, a lower thought of person in that system. And that person stops and he ministers to this guy's wounds, puts him on his own animal, pays some money to help him out. He's the neighbor. He was the one that said, this guy's in my proximity, therefore I should be concerned about his well-being. We're supposed to love like this. So here's an exercise. Who brushes up against you in your life? Who's in your proximity? Will you, by God's grace, love them as yourself? Will you be on the hunt? Will you look for ways to do good by them, to them? Now, take an imaginary trip with me for just a moment, okay? If we really begin to love horizontally like this, how will you treat your spouse? (laughs) I want you to take this home. Will you treat him or her differently? You're going to be on the hunt to do good for them, right? And to bless them, right? How will you parents treat your children? And children, how will you treat your parents if you're on the hunt to love them like the scripture says? How will that affect the way you interact with the Walmart cashier? How will that affect the way that you stand in the grocery line with those around you? What will you say to them? How about driving? Every day we have a chance to do this while we drive, amen? I'm not there, I readily admit. I fail at this miserably a lot. But here's where I'm at. I'm committed to being on the journey. How about you? I'm committed to doing better. And I'm committed to being honest with myself anymore and saying I'm wrong for thinking like this. The other day I was um, grumbling about some stuff made in China. (laughs) Anybody else do that? And thought... It didn't work, is what I'm trying to say in a kind of gentle way. And it was like God convicted me, because I've been saying this. Oh, I don't want to buy some from China. And I, I th- there's no, that's okay. To s- but then God said, are you praying for those guys? <laughs> okay, I should be praying for them, shouldn't I? So now every time I think ill of Chinese, I get to pray for them. So I'm on a journey. I'm just on a journey. Amen? How about you? trying to figure out how to do this in a real way that affects my life in a transformative way. I have this radical new identity in Jesus Christ and I want to be experiencing him in a way that's transformative. And oftentimes that is by putting together what I know it's right to do and then actually doing it, coupling those two things uh, together. Um, Think about the crabby person that you have to deal with. Do you return their crabbiness with crabbiness back? Do you, sh- do you return their short answer with the short answer uh, uh, of your own? Some of you have been gifted with a quick mind. Don't use it. <laughs> Not in that case. Don't go back. If you get a snarky thing said to you, don't snark back. Amen? Right? Sometimes I think, ah, as it's going out, stop. <laughs> right? And it's already out there. And then I'm quickly going, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. You ever done that? Just stop it somewhere down in here. And don't let it come out. Um, As we learned in Romans 12, and Aaron talked about this so well, don't return evil for evil. We have so much of that going on. You've done this bad, I'm going to do this bad. We are such a polarized country right now. And everybody's thinking the worst scenario is about everybody anymore. 
And we're not to return evil for evil. So if someone's crabby, don't crab back at them. We don't return evil for, for evil. Try to relate. Maybe they're having a really bad day. Maybe they're having a really bad life. Try to step into that situation and be on the hunt to do good. So let's go to this conclusion. Love. It's God-centered concern for others. When I use that word love, it's God-centered concern for others. That fulfills what the law requires. See, the law is about how to treat God correctly and how to treat others correctly. And when we have this kind of love, this agape love being shared with us in, in Romans chapter 13, it fulfills what the law requires. In fact, it's the only way to fulfill the law. By the enablement and the grace of God within us to love others and to be in the hunt to do good by them. Um, so the last two weeks, including this week, it's like we're trying to take this transformation trip. It's like we're trying to cross this bridge. I'm on one side of the chasm to the other side of a chasm. I'm trying to go over this bridge. And on this side, I'm sitting over here in powerlessness. And I'm sitting over here in defeat and, and despair and all that kind of thing. And then I learn about, oh, I'm supposed to submit to authorities. That becomes a vehicle for God's unleashing of power in my life. So I step on the bridge. Kind of tentatively, Right. Maybe if I start doing this, God, you'll be working in me in a mighty transformative way. Now, if I begin to see others and treat them like God would treat them, and I begin to see those horizontal relationships as an opportunity to be on the hunt uh, to do good, I'm having uh, my interactions with people uh, be driven by what's best for them, what's good for them, what's right for them. Oh, boy, I'm stepping over here. Now I'm getting to the other side of this, this, this chasm uh, between self, selfishness, and sin, and living over here in this side of transformation and holiness and sanctification, I'm actually beginning to put myself in this place of experiencing a move of God in my life, okay? That's what we're talking about here. That's why what we're talking about is so very, very uh, important. Um, I want to leave you with one last challenge. You just got to do it. And as I exhort you in this, you just got to do it. You just got to be on a journey. You just got to keep doing it and doing it and practicing, practicing, practicing. I coached for a lot of years. Um, coached uh, a lot of basketball um, and coached a lot of 7th and 8th grade basketball players. And one of the things I noticed almost without exception was so many of them had terrible shot motion. They watch too much basketball. They start slinging it from three-pointers. They have terrible, just terrible mechanics, right? And so I'd make those poor little boys practice over and over and over again. I'd say, okay, what you do, always plan on the inside foot because it centers your body, square up to the hoop, go up and make sure your elbow's in and that you tuck and shoot. Do not fling that elbow out. When you do that, that ball has, you're working with motion that's not linear, right? It's going to shove that ball all over the place. And you can still shoot that way. I've seen a lot of really athletic guys have terrible shot mechanics, amen? But that's because they're athletic. And most of the guys I were dealing with, quite frankly, just weren't athletic. So you train them. I said, anybody can be a good shooter. Inside foot, square up, go up, and shoot like that. Motion. You take all those other dynamics out. And then muscle memory, you do it a thousand times a day. You do it a thousand times a day. And pretty soon, you just have a really good shot. That's all that's to it. None of them do it. Why? Because it's sports, and they really just don't care. And they watch a lot of stuff on TV and think you can just naturally be like that. And those guys on TV that are really, really, really good, they, they put in thousands and thousands of hours, right? But when it comes to our Christianity, which is really what I care about, and not your motion and shooting a basketball, 
is we know the right things to do. They're clearly articulated all throughout Romans, all throughout the Bible. Now we're getting to chapter 13 and it says vertically begin to understand and live this way in God in relation to human authorities and horizontally begin to live this way in relationship to other human beings. We know, now what do we do? Practice, 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 right? Until it becomes what? Spiritual muscle memory. And you just begin to live it out. When we get to that place, friends, then we're going to really experience transformative situations in our lives. Um, So my question is, will you take this home and will you live it out? I need to quit. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. Let's pray. Lord God, I want to thank you for this scripture and for the power of it. And I want to thank you that it's like the rubber hits the road kind of stuff where, uh, you know, we can begin to really uh, experience your transformative power in our lives, Lord Jesus. So I want to pray for everyone here today. What do you want us to do next, Jesus? Who do you want us to love? Who have you put in our lives? Who can we begin to be in the hunt for to uh, really uh, do good for and to relate to with their best interest at the heart of that relationship? God, I think that's just going to untether us from a lot of the, the selfishness and sinfulness that so easily captures our souls. Help us, Lord God, to have your heart towards other people. And I just pray for anyone in here today, Lord, that maybe you'd lay on their minds and their hearts several people that they can begin to really minister the love of Christ to. If we do that, just going to change our community, Lord. If this group of people in here, I'm convinced, if this group of people in here get untethered from themselves and their own selfishness and sinfulness way, Lord, and begin to truly minister your grace to others in the name of Jesus Christ. Boy, that's going to be something else, Lord. I just pray for us uh, to have that heart. Now, as we sing this last song, Lord, would you just uh, anoint this time and may we love on you recklessly and may we just just, uh, take the words of the song to heart, Lord, I pray. In your name, Jesus, amen.